Hi, I'm Kate Dearden, and you're listening to The Migration Podcast. It should be no surprise that migrants arriving in Europe have smartphones and take selfies. Our guest today argues that migrants are natural adopters of mobile technologies, and that narratives surrounding how asylum seekers are portrayed in the media must change. In this episode, Rob Sharp interviews Kun Lurs about his book Digital Migration. Among other things, he discusses the datification of migration and how researchers who work on this topic must seek to avoid enabling mechanisms of migration control. Thank you, Dr. Lurs, for taking part in this podcast and congratulations on the publication of your new book, Digital Migration. It's a comprehensive account of the relationship between digital technology and migration, and it considers from top-down governmental and corporate shaping of the migrant condition to the bottom-up of digital practices, helping migrants connect, engage, and resist. Can you please tell me about your own research and how you situate yourself in the migration field? Thanks so much for this uh, kind invitation. I, I situate myself as an interdisciplinary digital media and migration scholar. So I'm interested in taking the media, communication processes, and technologies as an entry point to study questions around migration and mobility, focusing on issues around agency, voice, identity, participation, power relations, and interim exclusion. And overall, I take a social justice perspective, uh, drawing on a range of critical theories from fields, including feminist theory, critical race studies, uh, critical migration studies, but also, for example, science and technology studies, really to diagnose injustices and to intervene and work towards change. You mentioned in the book's introduction a need to unite several different strands, including the work of media and technology and migration scholars. Would you please be able to discuss what your approach was to doing this and how this drew on your previous work? The book is really a passion project, but it was also partly written out of initial frustration. I remember how prior to the so-called European migration crisis of 2015 and 16, or in other words, the long summer of migration, colleagues and I pursuing work at the intersections of migration and technology face really uh, many obstacles in communicating our findings. For example, when we submitted proposals to media and internet studies, conferences or journals, we were very often rejected because reviewers didn't really see the particular relevance in using uh, or focusing on digital technology. And the same holds for funding bodies who had difficulty placing our work. So when you're doing work at the boundaries of migration and media studies, we have faced questions of unintelligibility, let's say. This has changed in the wake of the so-called European migration crisis, which also kind of illustrates painfully how knowledge production is also tied to hypes and, and buzzwords. So following the hype, we saw really a proliferation of, of scholarships of different takes on the relationships between migration and technologies. However, this proliferation has really happened within the confines of the silos of academic disciplines. And as I was trying to read up on scholarship, I have actually found that lots of similar types of studies were being conducted in parallel within specialized containers of disciplines without li with little dialogue and also little cost fertilization. So following a kind of impetus from interdisciplinary uh, scholarship, I'm interested both in recognizing how scholars within disciplines pursue and take particular perspectives but also and uh, uh, trying to see how we can bring those different perspectives together to search for common grounds, uh, and then also to search how we can uh, align perspectives 
together uh, and to integrate perspectives. So in the book and presenting an overview of perspectives, I, I try to offer a, a toolbox to begin to more comprehensively understand digital migrants as well as the datification uh, of migration. So to look at the common grounds in understanding uh, both of these processes. In the book, you've divided it into different chapters, which tackle different elements. So you look at infrastructures, connections, representations, affects, uh, and emotions and histories. So what made you decide on this uh, set of approaches? Yes, that's a, that's a good question. So I w as I was trying to uh, delve through the literature, I was uh, actually seeing these thematic points as uh, somehow offering me uh, the space to create and establish the common grounds between the different perspectives. So exactly the, those five thematic chapters were the common grounds. Within these chapters, I try to account for the variety of perspectives. So to, to take these thematic entry points to account for multiplicity, but also the dynamic and, uh, and various relationships between migration and digital technologies. So for example, within uh, the infrastructure, uh, I saw lots of scholarship being produced across different domains, including science and technology studies, but also engineering, geography, anthropology, media and communication. So infrastructure was really coming up as a buzzword. And I was interested to see how we could move beyond that buzzword and really to see how we can work with infrastructures as a critical lens. So to see how colleagues from across these different fields have used the lens to kind of open up, to look behind and also to look beyond black boxed inner workings of technologies, processes, and procedures surrounding and impacting upon migration in relation to uh, technology. So I was interested not only to look at, let's say, the black boxed technology in the sense of taking an infrastructural perspective, but also considering, for example, how people play a role within migration infrastructures uh, alongside uh, the very material stuff of technology. And similarly, how those people, for example, can act as social brokers, to, so to allow mobility, but also to hinder mobility for others. Uh, in parallel, I was also interested in beyond the materiality and beyond the people as infrastructures uh, to think about Im imaginaries of infrastructure to get a sense of the role is of how people think about, imagine, and, and perceive technologies, for example, at the border or immigration governance. What, it, what difference it makes, how, for example, officials imagine AI or humanitarian organizations, how they imagine the use of blockchain, for example, as a technological solution for larger problems. So to trace how people think about technologies in order to uh, get an understanding of how, through time, specific technologies have been adopted or have been experimented with. I mean, you've touched on it there in terms of using different perspectives to disrupt um, the ordinary ways that people think about these siloed areas within the field. Could you talk me through some of the other ways the disruption of these binaries might proceed? Could you talk about moving beyond the paradigmatic approaches to integration and transnationalism, for instance? So in hindsight, one of my main motivations was exactly to move beyond binaries or to move beyond the neat and, and singular and homogeneous interpretations and, and analyses of the relationships between migration and, and digital technologies, but really to account for what happens outside or beyond those binaries. Very often the messiness and the complexities of, for example, migrant dig digital practices cannot really be uh, understood fully within uh, neat binaries, such as the neat binaries 
of integration and, and transnationalism. Because, for example, when you look at uh, scholarship on migrant connectivity, uh, researchers commonly agree that uh, uh, migrant connections uh, generally span across geographies and that migrant networks should be seen as inherently including both transnational as well as local, more integrative processes. However, very often scholars either focus on one of these aspects. So they study transnationalism, but don't, do not really take into account how beyond transnational connections, people living across borders also maintain connections locally. So focus on the transnational and commonly overlook or pay less attention to local dynamics and vice versa. So I pay more attention to the interrelationships. So to how both people can be active and, and contribute to their communities or their family life across distance, but also simultaneously establish new connections locally. So transnationalism and integration are not necessarily one's opposites, but they can be mutually reinforcing. So there's a spectrum to be seen when we look at digital connectivity and how people maintain connections across distance. Also, you're drawing inspiration, for example, by the work of Dana Dimonescu, who wrote a promising manifesto on the connected migrant, or Mihaela Nidelchu writes about how people using technologies can maintain a sense of co-presence, so being present both here and there across distance, and maintaining what she describes as a, as a transnational habitus. I think, for example, we can draw on the ter term of paradox to move beyond the limitations of binary thinking. So we can also challenge the kind of monolithic understandings very often of uh, connectivity being either uh, attuned to questions of integration or questions of transnationalism, but actually look at their interrelationships. Just building on that in terms of some of the empirical work that might stem from these theoretical considerations beyond those binary considerations, what kinds of ways might such empirical work positively impact the lives of migrants? Yes, it's a... A very urgent, but also a million dollar question. I think for me, this is also a question about accountability. And one key inspiration for me to do this work is also to see how we can engage in theoretically informed, but also empirically driven work in order to narrate it differently. So to challenge some of the uh, very often mainstream or stereotypical renderings of migration and technology. And here, for example, I think back about my own youth growing up in a, in a small town in the south of the Netherlands. And in this town, there was a local asylum seeker center. And I actually spent a lot of my uh, time playing basketball at this asylum seeker center. So this was around 1995. And when I began to study media and communication 10 years later, I began to realize that actually many of the, many of the young players I was playing basketball with in the local uh, asylum seeker camp were actually early adopters of technology. So some of the people in the camp had access to mobile phones and they were setting up email addresses to be in touch both with local administrations as well as transnationally with family living across distance. Whereas most of the white students in my, my school, for example, we didn't have email addresses yet or we didn't have access to mobile phones yet. So this for me was also a reminder uh, to rethink some of the dominant assumptions because we still see those very dominant assumptions about what a refugee should look like. And when we see mainstream journalistic accounts, for example, questioning uh, at the height of the so-called European refugee crisis, people arriving on European shores, carrying smartphones or taking selfies upon arrival. 
uh, we had headlines, for example, in, in Netherlands newspapers that questioned why are refugees taking selfies all the time? So this really indicates that there's a very narrow, stereotypical understanding of what a refugee should look like from a European perspective. Uh, the use of technologies, which have become very much normalized in European life, are taken as a way to question asylum seekers as if they have access to technologies as a luxury. For people on the move, for forcibly displaced people, the access to devices such as smartphones is indeed a luxury and also a basic human need, for example, to maintain connections across distance or to navigate various journeys. So for me, this was a reminder of the urgent needs to narrate differently the relationships between migration and technologies. And that increasingly this push towards narrating differently and producing much needed empirical and conceptual insight on the relationships between migration and digital technologies is also increasingly uh, impacting international discourse. For example, the UN Special Rapporteur on Discrimination, Racism, and Xenophobia, Tendai G. Aishume, in their influential report, Digital Borders and Racism, we see that kind of the scholarship being produced within the specialized niches of science and technology studies, of border studies, of media studies on the implications of digital bordering and digital humanitarianism. So we see how our scholarship is also proliferating outside of our specialized needs in areas where people uh, can make change and can uh, effectuate change in in policies and, and practices. I think it's interesting that you talk about some of those stereotypical representations within mainstream media. And in, in the book, you also highlight the need for new strategic approaches to research. For instance, you discussed the critical necessity for more research into how ICTs globalize regimes' methods of social control and impact anti-regime diaspora groups. I just wondered what the risks were around researchers reproducing some of these methods of control or indeed reproducing disciplinary social regimes around migration more broadly, given the rapid expansion of the work. This is a really urgent question and also a major challenge for uh, colleagues wishing to produce knowledge around migration and, and digital technologies, as we see in recent years, an increased interplay between academia, but also governance sectors and corporate sectors, and that do not necessarily have the same ambitions or so, uh, same commitments, let's say. I mentioned this commitment towards social justice, this commitment to taking technology as an entry point to diagnose power, power relations and to advocate for social change, for example. Whereas what is also happening is that scholarship or contribution to technological development are at risk of being co-opted by, by governments who seek to, for example, halt mobility uh, for large groups uh, of people on the move, uh, or to increasingly, for example, uh, uh, predict migration flows on the basis of uh, a desire uh, to close the borders. Uh, so, uh, as we see, particularly in light of the turn towards big data, towards uh, automated uh, decision-making and those kinds of developments that risk really increase uh, disembodied approach uh, to governing uh, and managing migration and, and mobility, there is a renewed urgency for, for researchers, for the research community to speak up and to indeed look inside the black box, to question the black box and look beyond the black box of technological development 
but also to look at uh, the role that researchers play in producing and reproducing uh, this black box. So there are different techniques and strategies, which I think we are still very much grappling with within the research community. For example, to pursue uh, a different form of more engaged ethics, for example, the ethics of care, as Marie Sandberg has written about it in, in her work and co-edited this volume on ethical challenges in, in digital migration studies considering whether exactly an ethics of care, which is uh, seeking to align interests of communities with academic knowledge production, can be a way to safeguard uh, exactly this risk of, uh, of co-optation. And we can see across the board a stronger commitment uh, to researchers uh, seeking to engage more with, for example, community-based research principles, uh, seeking to member check findings with uh, the communities that they're working with, but also overall, as we see that academia is increasingly expected to work and push towards open science, open access publications, this also brings new risks, let's say, in light of the, the concerns that you've just discussed. Because indeed for some communities of people, of undocumented people, of people seeking to cross borders, open access storage of their data or their mobility trace data cannot necessarily always be a desirable outcome. You've talked about some of the challenges there and, and, and also some of the interventions that you think scholars should make in terms of um, the potential harm they might cause. Are, are there any spe specific ways drawing on the book itself that, that you feel scholars should make particular interventions about their work? One of the invitations that I have sought to articulate in the book is an invitation for researchers to become accountable, so to take an explicit position in the work that they produce, both in terms of uh, their epistemological stance, uh, what does it mean, for example, when you want to pursue a big data study of people on the move, what are the implications uh, in the sense of how um, and the degree in which you can uh, uh, homogenize uh, the people that you're uh, describing in your study, to what extent uh, can you take account of their complexity as full human beings, or do you risk further dehumanizing the people that you're writing about. So how to account for your knowledge production, what kind of frameworks, methodologies, techniques, and ethics can you mobilize really as an invitation to take stock of one's standpoint and to really reflect on why and for whom and with what consequences are we contributing to knowledge on the relationships between migration and digitalization. Kuhn Lurs is an associate professor in Gender, Media and Migration Studies at the Graduate Gender Program in the Department of Media and Culture at Utrecht University. His work is on the intersections between digital media and migration. If you enjoy the Migration Podcast, please consider liking and following us. Thanks for listening.